Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the one and only, the CEO over at Scaled Consulting. It's Mr. Jake Dunlap for round two. Nick, why should people listen? Jake's got some really powerful stuff around controlling the pace of the sale and who's involved in the sale and really having conversations that are planned and orchestrated. He talks about disarming objections in your proposal, and then some really good stuff around getting very, very firm clarity around timing so you can actually not screw up your forecast. Three, two, one. Very, very firmly good episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you wanna follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Jake, welcome back to the show. We start every single episode, as you recall, with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Love it, man. Really excited to be back, guys. Excited to share with the audience 
and hopefully get some people to President's Club. So number one, a context around the demo that we call matching, which is very simple. If you want to talk about a feature, you have to be able to say, if you said this, you said this in the discovery, and now this is how we help. So if you can't do that, you shouldn't talk about it, all right? Number two, most people blow it after the second meeting. And they do that because they don't set a strong agenda and they have this big meeting with a lot of people. And instead of starting the agenda with, hey, after this, we're going to have specific meetings with IT and operations. Instead, they turn it over to a champion and then it gets lost in the shuffle. That's where we're the number one place we see people lose deals. Number three, if you want to have a proposal that wins, don't just send a proposal over that's like an order sheet. Make sure you always have a section that highlights the two to three business impact points that they said are most important. Those are my three, man. All right, Jake. So this has actually happened to a couple folks on my team at the end of last quarter where they got their champion to say, great, we want to buy PAVE. And every single week they had a touch point with their champion and we would ask, what's up with security? What's up with legal? No movement. Four, five, six weeks go by and the deal slips. How do you prevent that from happening? So here's what happens. You get that big meeting with, like you said, IT and these other people. Here's how you start the meeting. Hey, uh, Jake, really looking forward to the conversation today. Today's goal is to really just talk through my conversation with Armand, give a high level on where we think we can help. And then after this meeting, we'll set up a separate meeting with IT in the next week or two to just to talk through some of the more details around security. Operations will set up another meeting to talk about, again, how we usually integrate with your stores or your operations. And then if it seems like from those that we have a fit, then we'll bring everyone back together and see if there's a path forward. Does that work for everybody? Fantastic. That's it, dude. You set the expectation up front. And that way, when IT asks that stupid question about, well, how can this API... That's a, that's a super question, Nick. That's exactly what we're going to talk about next week. So you keep that second meeting focused on the business partnership so it doesn't get derailed with all these other groups. So that's number one. I promise you all, just use that technique. Just set a stronger agenda and set the tone that there will be subsequent meetings to talk about non-business related, more tactical details. So that, that's number one. Number two, whenever you get into these situations, you have to be okay. Look, sales, if it was called information giving, we'd all get paid a lot less. You get paid, we get paid in sales to have the uncomfortable conversations. And so again, I, trust me, there's many, I, I don't even know, hundreds of champions who turn into blockers, which I love. We never talk about that, how champions turn into blockers because it happens all the time, is you have to have a conversation. And so here's what that conversation looks like. Maybe it's been like two weeks or something is you say, Nick, hey, look, I just want to have like a very straightforward conversation from working with hundreds of companies or how many ever. We know that if there's a path forward, we have to have at least a 30-minute conversation with InfoSec. Like, again, I'm just telling you, we have seen this. Again, you, you don't make it sound out of the ordinary. And, and again, there's ways that you can set the precedent up front in previous meetings. But before, that's what you have to say. Look, hey, I totally get it. And I know that you don't want to do that. But I'm like, just from our experience, it's not going to work. It's like, would you feel comfortable based on we are setting up a quick 30-minute meeting? I'll tee up a very specific email as to why. And then if it, you feel comfortable, forward it along and we'll set the meeting up. You just so you got to be direct. And again, you make it sound like, not make it sound like you know who needs to be involved. So you just, you tell them and you just say, look, this is my experience and how deals get done and who needs to be involved. So that's two kind of two ways to handle it. Hopefully you deal with it up front so it doesn't come up. And number two, and it does, that's why you get paid. That's why we get paid the big bucks is to have the tough conversations. 
I've seen you write about this in the past where people screw this up, where they say something like, I'd love to have a conversation with InfoSec. Mm -hmm. And when you use those words, I'd love to, it makes it seem like what you're proposing is not part of the standard process. And people don't want to deal with your like shooting from the hip where it's like, oh, you'd love to do this, Jake. What you're saying is like, I've worked with hundreds, dozens, however many number of companies. And like every single time, like if we don't do this, this thing falls apart. I want to ask you about this champions that turn into blockers scenario that you've talked about, because I've dealt with it too, where it's like my main point of contact, this was moving along, moving along. And now it's like, they're sort of stonewalling me. They're not granting me access to other people. What the heck do I do in that scenario? So first, your preventative piece of medicine about how to to do this is you set the stage in the very first meeting. The very first meeting, it's like a first one or two dates. If you set the precedent that you're like, oh yeah, I'll drive across town and I'll do this and that and that, guess what you're doing? You're setting a precedent. Like, look, we might not want to believe it's true, et cetera, but you do. Again, it's like, what do they say? First impression is everything, right? So if in the first meeting you say, and you start the agenda, it's so silly, it's the agenda, right? It's like, hey, I'm, Nick, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I've worked with two other people that are very similar, this and this. I'm excited to talk about the work there. But first, each organization I work with is different. So I want to spend maybe five or 10 minutes getting into some of the nuances. Then we'll spend a bulk of the time talking about what we do at XYZ. And if it seems like a good fit, then we'll talk about next steps, maybe looping in other people from the team. Okay, that's step one. Step two to prevent this is the first set of questions. Is when you're like, great, so I work with lots of VPs of operations in industrial manufacturing. You know, sometimes they handle these two responsibilities. Sometimes they handle these. What are your top two? Then she or he tells me their top two. Great, tell me about the team. As soon as she or he tells me about the team, I now can tell them who needs to be in the next meeting. So he says, it's Nick and Armand. So then at the end of the meeting, I don't say, great, what are next steps? Instead, I say, great. So, hey, it seems like there could be a fit here. Let me tell you about typical next steps. So you mentioned Nick handles analytics. So typically what we'll do next is we'll set up a quick conversation with Nick, make sure it's something that he even sees value or might see utility in. Then if that seems great, it sounds like maybe we'll loop in Armand and maybe some more of the team, but that's typically next. So does that work? You know, we'll set up a meeting with Nick probably for like early next week. So if you want to stop a champion from becoming a blocker, you become the project manager from the very beginning. You tell them the typical process, just like you said before, it's no different. So Jake, I'm curious, sometimes what will happen, especially with below the line folks, is they want to gain lateral consensus first. So instead of bringing you up. They want to bring you around town to every one of their friends because they need to build peer consensus because they're afraid to bring this to their boss. So how do I coach my champion away from that and away from the demo train? It's the opposite. Embrace it. It is what it is, dude. We live in an era of consensus-based decision-making. Sometimes we want to short circuit and that, and then, then the champions goes on vacation, like as opposed to me driving the momentum. So what I would say is like at the very end of the meeting, again, knowing that, let's say earlier, she said, oh, my team does this. It's actually very similar to that script I just gave you, which like, okay, Nick, sounds like from your team, Armand and a couple other people, Jake need to see like maybe a quick high level. So typical next steps, and we call this the next, next, and next, next, next uh, steps. So typical next steps is we'll set up a high level for them, make sure it's something they see utility in, Then if it ends up being like, hey, this is something that could potentially move the needle. You mentioned Kathy will ultimately decide where we move. If they see value, then we'll set up a meeting with Kathy. So at least she understands what a proof of concept looks like. No pause. Does that work for you, Nick? And so I want a split second response. I don't want you to sit there and 
overanalyze like what happens when he gets in front of Kathy, et cetera. So there's a lot to that. But again, the next and the next next steps, and I'm laying those out. And I do that at the end of every single meeting. At the end of, and then I lay out the next two or three steps and the next two or three steps. So Jake, one thing that I think is really important for the audience to note here is you're not just saying the next step is great. Your team's going to see a demo. You're setting two steps ahead because the first one is the step that they want to take, but then exactly. the next, next step exactly. is the step that you want to take, That's right? right? And so you're driving them in the right direction. Now, my guess is you're going to jump on this next call and the step that they're going to remember is probably just the next step. In other words, the step that they wanted to take. And so I'm curious, as you go from call to call, what does your agenda look like at the beginning of calls to say like, hey, we agreed upon this last time and this is where we're going in the next, next step. How do you start to stitch calls together based on how you ended the previous one? So I think you're hearing a consistent thing, which is the way you set the agenda has a direct impact on what you can ask for later. So if let's say now I've got the team, I got the team on the books, they're there and you're there as well too, you're their boss. Great. Hey, everyone. Really looking forward to the conversation. I had a really great conversation with Nick last week. So goal for today is, one, I want to do a quick recap on some of the big picture items that we talked about to get your feedback team. Two, we'll spend a bulk of the time kind of talking about what we do. And then, hey, if this is something that you guys, you know, that you all feel good about, you see the value, then I'm going to work with Nick and, you know, we'll talk about setting up a potential proof of concept if it makes sense. Does that work for everybody? Great. You never just jump in. You're not, you don't have to get up on stage and dance. Too many people, like, they feel like in that second call, it's like, oh, here I go. I got to show. No. Like, slow down. Be confident. And so then at the end of the conversation, it's the same thing. Great. So tell me, John, how do you see value? Yeah, look, I think this could be really helpful. Okay, Rachel, great. How do you see value? Oh, this seems great. Okay, perfect. So awesome. So I'm glad that you all are excited about it. I'm going to go ahead and send you both over a quick high-level video. And then, Nick, it sounds like there could be some opportunities here. So why don't you and I maybe catch up for 10 minutes? What's your schedule look like tomorrow morning? Cool. All right. And then we can talk about next steps from there. Does that work for everyone? Great. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. And then I'm like, great, Nick. So, hey, it seems like there's an opportunity here. Typically, again, we talked about this before. Like, we'll set up a quick conversation with Kathy. Here's why. I have a question, Jake. And I'm running into this actually selling sponsorships for 30 Minutes to President's Club, where I'm actually doing what you are describing, where it's like, tell me about the team, because we hit on different drivers for different like marketing and sales orgs based on like what's important to them working with our media brand, you could call it. And I'll sometimes have a great first meeting with like a director of demand gen, and then we meet with someone on like the content side. And despite me doing what I think is right, where I'm like sending all sorts of prep over and like it's well formatted, people are showing up to these meetings with like zero context at all, where it's like they have no idea what the meeting's even about. What do I do in that situation? They're not going to read anything, man. Give up all hope. That's my advice. Like, look, it would be great if they would do their, like if people would read things. I come into this, I never ask those, well, how did you find us? It doesn't matter. Doesn't I don't care how you found us. I don't care how much research. I want to be the one to tell the story. So if, if I had those meetings, Nick, what I would do is I would, again, I think a lot of people feel the need in that second meeting to start dancing, start doing the thing, talking about what we do. Here, here's our stats. Here's how great we are. Hopefully, again, you'll see the pattern is this. Again, I set the agenda and I say, great. So from my conversation with the head of Dimension, here are the top two priorities I heard around marketing. Hey, content manager, how do you see that? How does that play into your world? I need to get the ammo from them. I need to know what they care about. If you go into every meeting, as opposed to looking to verify what happened in previous meetings, instead you go into every meeting 
expecting everything has changed. You take that beginner's mind. I take that beginner's mind into every call. I assume everything has changed. I assume, you know, like that each person has their own. Everyone needs to feel heard. If you want a deal to close, everyone has to feel heard. And so that's what happens is you start to jump into it and sell based on the reasons somebody else told you, but you didn't get the reasons that this person cared about. So that's what I would do in that situation, Nick, because I would maybe take a step back and say, hey, I had a great conversation with, with Jake, but obviously I want to understand in, you know, some of your initiatives, but let's start with kind of a re- quick recap of what I heard. And then why don't you give me your two cents? So, and then I would try to match it to the content person and what they said. So Jake, I'm curious, this happens a lot in that third meeting when you're getting access to power. So yeah. your first meeting might be a champion discovery, second might be a more a deep dive demo, and then that third meeting might be you're getting access to power. And that's oftentimes when you have to do a little bit of discovery and a little bit of demo, and it can get a little bit weird because I've brought four people along in the sales cycle, and I know I wanna do discovery on the CXO, yeah. right? But these four people have already gone through discovery, right? And so are you doing like mini lightweight discovery? Are you trying to break that into two calls? How do I like manage that executive dynamic when I've already sold to three or four people? I always do a prep meeting with my key stakeholders. So I'll say, hey, I'll say, hey, help me to understand what are they going to be the hot points? What are they going to care about? I'm going to start the meeting with the CXO. I'm going to say, hey, great. Rachel, I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. I've had two or three really great conversations with your team and excited to talk you through you know, different ways that we're impacting ABC in the industrial manufacturing space. What I want to do is spend the first, let's just call it five, five to 10 minutes, is I want to highlight some of the, we'll call it the key goals or priorities that I heard in those meetings. I want to get your two cents on it. And then I say, we're going to spend a bulk of our time talking about XYZ. What does that tell her? This isn't going to be an interrogation. This isn't going to be some BS. And so then I do the same thing. Great. Hey, from talking to your team, Rachel, here are the top three themes that I heard as top priorities for marketing this year. What would you add? You know, how do you see these things? Boom, 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 boom. And then I've already got my talk track laid out. Every company should have two different demos, a level one demo and a level two demo. A level one demo is a five minute. Hey, so Rachel, you know, we talk about these things. Here's what that looks like. And so you can talk them through it, but you're visualizing it for them and you're visualizing the impact. Level two is like, and here's the admin features. Rachel is never going to log into this platform ever. She's never going to log in. She doesn't need to see the admin features or the alerts. Or, like That's what it is. So, so then I say, great. So Rachel, let me tell you a little bit about us and how we support executive teams like yours and, and the frontline team here. So first, I'm going to show you a little bit about like the platform. But you're going to walk through it in a very high level. right? You're going to walk through it in a way that, that is like, Look, so imagine, Rachel, your team now is going to be able to do this, which means this for you. You know, you're not talking about the features. You're translating the strategic impact from the tactical software or whatever you sell. You have to be able to run parallel sales processes, you know, which is like something that gets end users excited, but you also need to be able to level up and have an executive conversation so they can see the impact this is going to have because they don't care about the features. I think too many salespeople, they just don't realize they don't know how to translate it to the what's in it for me. You put some stuff in the prep doc about that, the translation and the impact, about the impact in a proposal and what proposals, like where people commonly screw up proposals and what they should be doing instead. And I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about that? You have to understand, you've had four hours of meetings with a person. 
And now what you're asking that person to do, what most people do then is they send like a whole bunch of generic stuff and then they send like the products. Is you're expecting that person, and it's probably been a month, to remember all the, to like all the value props and the ROI and all that. And you're saying, yeah, go pitch this to whoever. You're not teeing it up for them. So again, what a great proposal is very simple formula. It should start with the key business objectives. So then when I go meet with the CFO, I go, hey, Ken, you know how we're trying to do this? You know, an XYZ and this and this, this company is going to help us do that. And then you've got a few different relevant case studies. And then, then all you do is it's very simple. So objective one becomes the first thing. You say, so objective one. So I know you know how we're trying to increase productivity by 25%. Their XYZ platform is going to help us to do that by doing this and this. Objective two. So instead of sending like a bunch of products, you break out the features by the problem that they solve. So then I can go have a conversation with my boss. Objective one, here's how they're going to help us with that. Objective two, here's how they're going to help us with that. And objective three, here's that. Then you have to lay out the implementation schedule in the proposal. Business objectives, a few relevant case studies, break out the product by business case, and then implementation schedule. I'm going to tell you the number one killer of deals is everyone looks around the room, they go, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Sales does not usually feel comfortable talking about the implementation, whereas that's, that's all I do. So I walk through the proposal. I say, great, so let's talk about next steps. Again, what do I do? I'm laying out the next, next, the next, next steps once you buy. Because that makes people feel like Nick's got me. He has a plan. It's not going to be like throw it over the fence. I want to disarm any objections. Like my goal at the end of the proposal, they go, okay. You know, I might not get the yes there, but like, uh, and it's not like a no questions, like uh, God, no questions. It's like, I know I have disarmed every possible thing that they could possibly have objected to. Hey, how are we going to go live? Already answered that. What happens next? Already answered that. How are they going to help us? Already answered that. And so I think the problem with the proposal is we just want to send out, we want to be lazy. We, we spend all this time on the phone and then we get lazy. We email the proposal, we ship it over, but just put a little bit of work in it. And I'm telling you, it will have a massive impact on your close rate. You spend all those hours up front, spend the next, spend that last 30 minutes to like, you know, get the deal done and customize it. So Jake, I think one thing that makes this situation much easier is when you have some sort of compelling event that's like, on this date, I got to get live. Great. That means this much time for implementation. That means this much time for red lines. Da, da, da. What do you do in a situation where the exec team loves your product, your champion loves your product, but one of the things that can be scary about a deal slipping is there's nothing driving them to sign this today versus next month. How do you walk back a close plan when there's not a clear defining compelling event to sign today? Many times people say, hey, so when do you guys need a, a solution? <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday is when we need a solution. So one, when you hear that, you got, that immediately has to send off alarm bells. Okay, that doesn't mean, any, that means nothing to me when they say yesterday. I'm going to keep digging in. Okay, yesterday. Okay, well, well, let me ask you the question, Nick. Like, how long have you guys been in the market for a solution then? Well, we just started. Well, Nick, I mean, like, help me to really understand. Like, when did you actually need to have something in place by? Problem is, like, I just, I think a lot of times, Armand, we just don't ask the difficult questions. We, 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 again, I go back to why every deal I lost is my fault. Trust me, I've been in those situations where like, yeah, we got to get something in place by May 15th. I'm like, yeah, oh, this is May 15th. And then the deal slips. If the deal slips, it's your fault. I guarantee you did not ask tough enough questions. You did not say in that meeting, hey, look, what, and again, there's the classic, what happens? Oh my goodness, what happens if it doesn't? 
well, Jacob, we would be in a lot of trouble. That's not a good enough answer. It's not a good enough answer. Nick, look, I understand we want to get something started sooner than later. The reality is, look, what happens if we wait a month? Like, like what would like, is there really going to be an impact? I just want to get a sense of like, and, and, and I'll tell you this, and this is for kind of all your listeners. The other thing that when we work with teams, stop worrying about when they need to go live by and instead say, when do you need to see impact by? So go live is a date we care about because that's contract sign. Impact is what they care about. So instead in that situation, Armand, I'd say like, okay, so you need to be live by the 15th. Let me ask you this. If you want this to impact your revenue and whatever, when do you actually need to see the impact by? Well, if we don't have something in place by August 1st, then okay, well, look, then let me just give you the timeline of what that actually means. That means we need to go live by here and this, and then I can go back to when you needed to see impact versus go live. Because that's what most companies don't know the difference. They don't know the difference of how long is this going to take for me to see impact. All of those are techniques and things that you can use that will help you to cut through the BS. One more question I have for you. You mentioned the scenario where you ask Armand, hey, when do you need a solution in place? And he goes, ha, 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 yesterday. And then they tell you, he tells you, like, got into the market last week. And it's like, wait, that's a big red flag, which is like, if you needed this thing exactly. yesterday, yet you just started looking now, that tells me, like, you're probably not really serious about this thing. And Armand is is probably not high enough at power and is kicking a bunch of tires. How do you respond in that? So you talked about sort of sussing it out and like really trying to get to a timeline. Let's say you've got someone who's like, you know, director level, right? And you know you're going to need them to mobilize and get you actually get you to power, but they've got this weird soft timeline and it sounds like it might be a tire kicker. Do you just say like, hey, come back to me when you're more serious about this? Do you like try to go through a sales process? Like I'm mindful of how I spend my time and I'm curious how I should approach that situation. Well, no is the answer. No, that doesn't mean that someone's a tire kick. I mean, they did, look, you got to understand, most people don't know how to buy what you're selling. You sell a podcast. How many podcasts do you think the average company that you've like sold to has ever bought? And that goes for a lot of you who sell software. Like A lot of this is some empathy. They've never bought it. Your job is to help them and support them in this process. So if someone doesn't have it all figured out, I mean, to me, that's just lazy. If you're like, well, I don't want to have to work for it. It's like not an SQL. Come on, give me a break. So so going back to it again, yes, part of it is just being more direct to say like, hey, look, Nick, like I totally get it. Again, one of the questions I'll ask instead of budget is I'll say, look, let me ask you this. Have you guys already designated internal resources against this problem? Whether that's headcount, budget, whatever. Like, is this something that's a P1 or P2 or P3 for your, your department. And I'll just try to get, I just try to get at that. And then if they're like, hey, it's a P3, I'm gonna like, amazing. You know, like, hey, that sounds like fantastic. Let me give you a quick high level on what we do. I'll get them real excited and pumped up. And I, what I'd say is this, like, look, and if things change, like I'll make a note to follow up in like three to four weeks, if this starts to escalate or becomes bigger picture, but no, I'll treat them like gold. I'll be like, hey, awesome. Like, cause it is what, it's not their fault. It's not a priority. Like, it's just not a priority. So I'm not going to try to oversell. I'm just going to get you excited. And we always call it planting seeds. I'm going to plant a seed like, hey, Nick, and if the next month this comes up, which I already know it will, then maybe we'll connect later. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. And so again, I don't try to force anything. But I also realized, look, it's my job in sales to really suss it out. It's my job to get to the heart of like, is there something here, et cetera. But I never, 
man, I never look, I, I never looked at it like that, Nick. I never looked at it like qualifying or what. It's just like, it is what it is. It either like the variables add up to there being something here or they don't. And it's not qualified or unqualified. And I think that's one of the biggest problems I see in sales is that it's like, we're so focused on if it doesn't equal four, then it's not a good deal. And that's just not sales. You might need two or three calls to get it to a four or whatever it is. Jake, this has been a phenomenal one. We're running out of time though. So we got to move ourselves to the final question. Final question is this. We talked about a lot of great things salespeople should be doing. Now let's flip that on its head. So the final question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think hurts them more than it helps so they should probably stop doing it? Know your industry. Care about the industry you serve or get out. Go find some industry you actually want to know the trends or those things. I want to make you smarter. I like having business conversations. And so if you're a seller out there, be obsessed with understanding the trends in your space, what your buyers are going for so you can actually help them. If you, if you don't know the trends, if you don't know what your customers are going for, how can you help them? You don't know how they make money, how can you help them? And so really, I think, put in the work to really understand and care about your space and treat every conversation like an opportunity to provide value. And if there's an opportunity, great. If there's not, that's fine too. Beautiful. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody go check out Jake on LinkedIn. I've been following him for years. Super impactful stuff. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jake Dunlap include number one, don't just set next steps, set the next next steps. Don't just set one step ahead. Make sure you're constantly steering your sales cycle in the right direction. Number two, your second meetings should not be technical demo focused. They should be purely business problem solving focused. Number three, your third meeting or your fourth meeting when you get access to power, the way you structure that meeting is lead with the top three themes that you've heard from the team, but then ask, what do you think? And then you can get into your solution, which brings me to number four. When you do get into that solution with power, make sure that you have an exec demo that's like five minutes and then a detailed dememo that's probably closer to an hour. All righty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Well, 
In the beginning of this episode, we made a little small talk with Jake, who's based in Austin, and he enjoys eating barbecue, and I enjoy eating barbecue, and I know Armand likes a good barbecue, and I was thinking, I'd love some barbecue this time of year. So, if you're open to sending me a gift card to go eat some barbecue, I promise to send half of it to Armand. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.